Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Stockholm in Sweden, from the luxurious, iconic Grand Hotel here in Stockholm, a building built in 1874, which is really the centerpiece of the harbor. And no matter where you're staying, you look out and you're looking at the palace with the king and the queen, you can wave. They probably won't wave back, but you are where you want to be in this wonderful, beautiful city that's had an amazing hot summer, as has most of Scandinavia, with really great weather. You know, when you think of Stockholm, you think of a number of things. One of the things you always think about is the Nobel Prize, um, and it goes back a long time and it's a very big deal such a big deal they even have a nobel museum and joining me now the director of the nobel museum ole amelin how are you sir thank you very fine i mean what is in the nobel museum i mean i i mean i I know the history of some of the winners and i know the history of some of the nominees but before we get to the what's in the museum here's the one thing I, i found really interesting in doing my research anybody can be nominated for a yes. nobel prize yes and i can nominate myself no, you can't. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. If you nominate yourself, you rule out immediately. Well, that, there, there goes my only opportunity yeah. to win. <laughs> 
But somebody once told me that you could nominate yourself. Right? No, you can't. You somebody, can't nominate. Th th then who nominates you? Well, uh, the, the former Nobel laureates are entitled to, to nominate new okay. Nobel, Nobel laureates. Members of the committees, they are, of course, uh, allowed to nominate right. uh, Nobel laureates. But not uh, the public. Not the public, no. You, they send out letters and invite thousands of people all over the world that nominates Nobel laureates. Okay, so somebody's nominating. Yes. It just ain't going to be me. No. <laughs> and then how long does the process take? Well, you could say that they send out these letters in, in February, uh, and then it takes about a year to uh, get all the, um, the, the nomination letters and to evaluate them. So let's say that in, in uh, the next year in February, they start to do the evaluation work. They invite experts and they, they have committee meetings where they evaluate all the nominations. And then the actual awards are given out when? In October. Okay. First so, week so of October. So coming up. Yes. Uh, do, we know who, do we know who the nominees are at least? No. Uh, that, that's a secret. It's a secret for everyone uh, uh, but the, uh, the, the committee. Ah. Yeah. Okay. But inside the museum, obviously you're telling the stories Yes. Of the people who actually won. Yeah. So that's our focus, to tell the stories about all the 940-something Nobel laureates that we have so far. When did it start? 1901. Uh, Alfred Nobel died in 1896, and his entire fortune, he donated it to this and prize. And for those of you who don't know the history of Mr. Nobel, he was an arms manufacturer. He was, and he was the inventor of dynamite. Uh, so, so isn't it wonderfully and pleasantly ironic that the inventor of dynamite is doing a peace prize. <laughs> well, in a sense, yes, it is. Uh, but, you know, his view was that if anyone could produce really good weapons, no one would ever be so stupid so they would use them. So the strategy of deterrence. Exactly. Well, at least in the nuclear arms race, that's held true for since 1945. Well, yeah, well, yes. More or less. Mm, more or less. Mm. Uh, although it's scarier every yeah. day. Uh, given people's emotions and religious craziness and everything else, who knows what's done in the, in the uh, to be justified by God, mm. if you will. Yeah. Uh, who have been some of the most surprising Nobel winners? Oh, surprising Nobel winners. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Um, I would say Liu Xiaobo, the Chinese um, the fighter for for human rights. Uh, he was a surprise, I would say. Um, and when he Bob, won, when yeah. he won. Could he come accept it? No. I mean, he died in prison. I know. Yeah. So he never got to accept. No. Um, are there people who, like him, were not able to come and accept their award? Oh, yes. That has happened a number of times. Um, people who, who couldn't come to accept their award. Um, Aung San Suu Kyi, to mention another controversial... Well, she's under, she was under house arrest at yes, the time. Yes, yes. That's correct. And am I, rem am I correct in terms of Bob Dylan... Well, Bob Dylan, uh, he simply didn't want to come uh, to Stockholm <laughs> uh, or to, uh, to Stockholm to receive his prize. But he's not the first one. Albert Einstein, he didn't come to Stockholm uh, until a couple of years later to receive uh, his prize. But did anybody actually say, I don't want it, give it back? Yes. Um, you have, um, for instance, when uh, Henry Kissinger was awarded the prize, Together with um, the uh, North Vietnamese, yes, exactly. Lee Duc Tho. Lee Duc Tho. Oh my God! I pulled that out of the hat. <laughs> he didn't accept the prize, so he declined the prize. Um, another one is Jean Paul Sartre. 
who declined the price, who didn't want wow. the price. So there are a few people who have declined the price. Now, there's the Nobel Prize, and then there's a the Nobel Peace Prize. That's correct. but it's, And that's different. No, it's actually the same. But it's uh, awarded in... Uh, well, yes, it's awarded in Oslo. Yeah. But you have to remember that Sweden and Norway were united in uh, 1896 when Alfred Nobel wrote his will. And, so uh, you're, suppo- you're sort of like splitting it. Yeah, yeah well, yes. One of, the, one of the ones that was that seems sort of, sort of controversial at the time was Barack Obama because he won the Nobel Peace Prize. He had just become president. Yes, but you have to read the, the uh, motivation. And the motivation was that he had done a lot uh, for um, stopping the arms race before he became president. So that was the motivation ah, for his okay. prize. But, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year... Is it the same number of awardees, or can that number vary? The number can vary slightly, but uh, it has stabilized uh, around, let's say, 250 candidates for, for every prize. For every, and how many prizes? Well, you have the five original prizes, and then you have the prize in economic sciences. That was a later edition uh, added in the late 1960s. And when did the museum itself start? The museum started in 2001. A relatively late edition? Yes, um, but it was to commemorate the 100 years anniversary of the first Nobel Prize that was handed out in 1901. And obviously inside the museum, I mean, I, I'm using an overused word, I mean, you know, artifacts. Yes, there but, are artifacts. But what are the artifacts that are, that are going to be fascinating to me ah. as you tell the story of, of the Nobel Prize winners? Yeah, I mean, what we do is that when new laureates have been announced, we immediately approach them and we ask them to bring something to our collection that will help us to tell their story. When they come to accept the prize. Exactly. So when they arrive in December, they usually have something in their bag (laughs) to hand over to us. Or if it's too big, they say, well, you have to come and get it. Uh, Okay, okay, let's let's talk about both. What's the most surprising artifact you've gotten? The one that you went, really? (laughs) And and what's the one that was so busy you had to ship it here? Uh, Well, let let me mention one surprising artifact was a, a seed or a nut actually from a tree that we received from the the, the French writer Le Clesiot, who was awarded the literature prize, and the seed is from a tree um, that is now soon becoming extinct, because this seed has to be eaten by the dodo bird in order to grow, so there are just a few trees left on the island of Mauritius. And the dodo bird went, went extinct in the 17th century. So he described this as a very good symbol for how humans have affected our environment. And that's one of the themes he touches upon in his uh, novels. Yeah, because essentially that seed right now is useless. Yes. Which is pretty sad. Which is sad. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Next guest is an expat, born in Scotland, now living in in Sweden. She came for love. (laughs) Did I say that right? She came for love. Uh, And she's the founder of Little Bear Abroad. It's really the family guide to starting out in Sweden, and she should know. Jill Leckie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me, Peter. A far cry from Scotland. Yeah, especially today. (laughs) 
30 degree weather. I know. The Nordics know. are not really used to this or prepared for it. I know, but you're, you're, you're coping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're coping well. Mm-hmm. Okay. You came here, what, three years ago? Yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. And what is Little Bear Abroad? It's really, as you said, the, the, the family guide to starting out in Sweden. When I arrived, there was no English speaking resource for people like me who were arriving with, you know, a new family and, and needed to start out or get themselves started on their new lives. Um, you and didn't speak the language? Of course not, no. Yeah. Um, you spoke Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, my, fortunately, though, for me, my partner is Swedish. So he was able to deal with a lot of the bureaucratic administrative stuff that we had to do. But for other people who come here for jobs or for love or, you know, for a different lifestyle, um, who don't speak Swedish, it's almost impossible to, to sort of crack that nut, really. What is the lifestyle for you? For for us, it's, it's, well, we came here because we wanted a family-friendly lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things that Stockholm has to offer, or Sweden has to offer. It is incredibly geared towards families. Um, and the work-life yeah, and balance. It's not unusual, by the way, to be out in the streets of Stockholm and see entire families walking together. You don't see that in New York a lot. You don't see that in L.A. a lot. You don't, you don't see, see anybody walking in L.A. a lot. But and, the, and you certainly don't see it in the U.K. where I'm from either. Yeah. You know, it's not, that's just not, it's not the done thing. I mean, the, the one, you know... Business I like to be in in, in in Scandinavia is the stroller business because <laughs> everybody's got at least one, if not two, or they got the double deckers with the twins and absolutely, I mean, and everybody is parading their kids. Yeah, I mean it's true. Yeah, I mean, and and it's and you know you see an equal number of dads and an equal number of moms doing it. So that's the other thing. Um, there is a heavy emphasis on both parents equal parenting. So we moved out of London when we decided to start a family because that's not family friendly, and came here um, because it was giving us. An opportunity to really raise our children or our family equally. And for and of course now that you're here, yeah. all of your friends in Scotland have decided to visit. Yeah. Yeah, they see yeah, you've become central central hospitality. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they come to Sweden, what's the biggest surprise for them? That's a good question. They the, the biggest surprise for them is it's not as expensive as they thought it was going to be. Well, I've always found it expensive, I have to tell you. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not trying to dump on the Swedes, it's a fact. Yeah. I mean, you know, dinner out for two is going to cost you a lot. Yeah. And it's usually the alcohol that's the problem. But and that's... you're speaking from experience right <laughs> No, it just, I mean, you know, they have higher taxes on alcohol and, and that's usually what bumps the price up. But I think in general, in our in our life, like our lifestyle, because we don't go out for dinner every evening and so on. But, um, you know, you're too busy, you know, with a stroller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a lot cheaper than people realize to live here. Um, that's the most surprising thing that they find, yeah. And let's talk about, you know, basic goods and services. The one thing I try to do when I tell my friends when they're going to travel somewhere is say, look, it's not about the airfare or the hotel rate. Those things you can't control. It's basic goods and services, a tube of toothpaste, um, you know, a a, a can of uh, diet soda, Mm. uh, a bus ride, a taxi ride. You know, what are the locals paying for their basic goods and services? That will help you budget wherever you travel. Otherwise, it's going to be sticker shock. Yeah, yeah. So what is the, the item here that just drives you over the top because it's just so ridiculously expensive based on what it could have cost anywhere else in the world. And we could start with a tube of toothpaste if you wanted, but, but you know, it's it's one of those things that you just don't think about until it hits you. Uh, for us, it, it was um, baby food. I know that sounds crazy, but baby food, formula... Um, it is. It can be expensive in other parts of the world. I understand that, but um, in the UK, baby food and formula is not that expensive. Um, but here, we were shocked at how much can, goods for babies in general yeah. was expensive. You know, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just something you've got to suck up, haven't you? <laughs> We're talking to Jill Lucky, the uh, the founder of Little Bear Abroad. And, and obviously, if you're, if you're with your kids and you're traveling with young kids, uh, bring the food with you, uh, you know, especially if it's in bottles or cans and you can pack it safely uh, because it's going to cost you more here in Stockholm. Definitely, yeah. What's the one pleasant surprise for you here? Uh, the, 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 the way in, yeah, the work-life balance. That's the, the most pleasant surprise. There it's is part no, of the culture. It's absolutely, it's ingrained in people. It's this idea that, you know, if you, you don't have to stay until the bitter end of the nine to five or, or more, yeah. you know, it's actually encouraged that people go home to their families. And it's interesting because it's, it's part of the culture. It's a balance that we don't see very often. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to ask the really bad question because it, it always gets me crazed. You know, Americans will leave on the table two to three vacation days a year because they're afraid that if they take them, they might lose their job or it's a fear of missing out. Yeah. I mean, and we only get two weeks of vacation a year. Yeah. I mean, the Germans are out of control. I think they get five. I mean, what about the Swedes? They usually get 30 days. 30 days of vacation a year. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good reason to move here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and the, usually what will happen is we'll have we, – we, July has just passed. That's the, the, the big holiday month in, in Stockholm or in Sweden. Um, people take the whole month they off. Take the whole, we, we took the whole month off. We've just come back from vacation. We were in Gotland, which was absolutely yeah. beautiful. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, people take their full vacation. There's do. no negotiating that. People just yeah. say, i got to go. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have family, you're entitled to. Some people work with, you know, work out that they actually have more um, family time using paid leave, family paid leave. So it's, um, yeah. So basically, Sweden's on a permanent vacation. <laughs> In July, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good to know. Um, and from a, from an economic standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, we we go back to the actual affordability. Mm -hmm. You look, you're living here. You've made it work. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you've had to really watch it because it can get expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, I mean, especially with starting a, a business, a fledgling business that I have, like I have, um, we're on a tight budget. Um, but there's nothing wrong with being a little bit economical in life. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Joining me now, the head concierge at the Hotel Grand, or the Grand Hotel, who has a, has a challenge here because he has to maintain the traditions of a uh, hotel that goes back to eight, 1874 in one of the major capital cities of Scandinavia, and his name is Ulof Frank. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you, sir? I'm good. And, of course, you're a member of the Clay Door, so I, I love you guys already. <laughs> That's um, great. You know, the, the real problem with so many hotels these days is they give a, a front desk clerk a hat and call him a concierge. This is different. Um, you know, if I'm coming to, to Stockholm, I'm not just looking for a theater ticket. I'm not just looking for a restaurant. I'm just looking for good information. And some of the things that may not be in the guidebooks, may not be in the brochures. Um, and in the summer months here, you know, uh, we're in September now. Yeah. Uh, it's still crowded because, I mean, the, the weather is great. I mean, and every, but if I come to Stockholm, I want to get on a bicycle 
I want yeah. to ride. Oh, absolutely. And you can get me that bicycle. Of course, of course. First of all, I have bicycles here at the hotel that you can rent for free. It's complimentary for our hotel guests, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, I can't think of a hotel in Scandinavia that doesn't have bicycles when you think about it. Scandinavia is great when it comes to biking. Very bike-friendly in general, all the Scandinavian capitals. And in Stockholm, when you walk out on the street, you don't just look for cars. You look for bikes. Yeah, that's Because they're, they're, the bike paths are and – they're, and they're speeding. They are whipping around those <laughs> bike paths can be quite dangerous yeah, yeah that's correct well at least entertaining it is can be very entertaining uh, when the, the, especially uh, during this time of year when there's so many people in town as well especially tourists that might not be aware of the biking lanes and uh, exactly yeah, it can be quite entra- entertaining what's your favorite time of year here? <laughs> i'm a fall person September, uh, October. Yeah, that, that would be, in my opinion, is the nicest, nicest time to well, be. Well, September, I mean, is the magic month. It, it, is. I, it is. I can't think of a place around the world where it isn't. No, and especially uh, here in Stockholm, when you have uh, when the trees are starting to change colors and everything, it's so beautiful. And especially if you take, you go out to the archipelago, so all, like all the islands outside of. Oh my uh, God! Stockholm. I've been talking about the Swedish archipelago, the Stockholm archipelago. For years I've been. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. It and is. If you, and if you're a leaf peeper listening to this show, you don't have to go to New England to watch the fall colors. You come over to Sweden. That's, that's the best way to do it. So the food scene here is exploding. Oh, yeah. The museum scene here is exploding. The Very art much. gallery scene. I mean, it's truly exploding. Stockholm, when I first came here, I got to tell you, a little boring. Yeah. Not anymore. No. Now, it, it makes my job a lot easier. For, for instance, when, when we're talking about restaurants, we have so many great restaurants in Stockholm at the moment. And then it's not only the guy Michelin star restaurants. We have uh, like the entire range, everything from like casual bistros uh, up to the, like, the, the very high-end fine dining restaurants. And I would say most of the restaurants are good. We have, uh, it makes my job a lot easier. Or more difficult because people come with, with higher expectations. That's true. That's true. And and, uh, and uh, especially since there's so many restaurants that are open all the time, it's just to keep track of everything. is That, that might be the, the most challenging part of my job, uh, just to uh, be up to date all the time. Uh, but but look, it's fun. F- 15 years ago, I couldn't find great sushi here. I couldn't no, no. find... I couldn't find great Italian here. No. Or maybe I could maybe find one Italian place here. But the point is... Thanks to globalization, if you will, every possible ethnic food is represented here in Stockholm, and good. Very, yeah. It's, I would say uh, the. Uh, we had is there some... a good Chinese restaurant here? Chinese might be a little uh, challenging. Yeah. See, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> we, we're still waiting for the the a great uh, Chinese restaurant. But uh, w- when it comes to sushi, for example, I would say Stockholm might be one of the best cities in the world uh, when it comes to sushi. And uh, is there a recommendation you have? Uh, sushi shoe. Uh, sushi shoe. Yeah, it's a one star, uh, very small, tiny place. Uh, and it's a one star? Yeah, one star. Wow. Uh, yeah, so the uh, they are amazing. Okay, Indian? Indian, uh, there, is a, uh, there is a restaurant called Indian Garden uh, that I like a lot. I'm not very keen on Indian food. Right. Uh, but, but they've uh, got it, it. Yeah, exactly. If I go out for Indian food, I would definitely go to Indian Garden. Okay. Yeah. Italian? Ooh, Italian. That's, we have so many good Italians these days. So I would say either uh, there is a, a restaurant called Taverna Brillo, uh, which is a lively, happening, vibrant restaurant when it comes to Italian food. And they have like a, so you can almost say it's a, a Italian-Swedish fusion. They have like their own pizzas, but with a very Swedish touch to it. Okay. Uh, they are really, really good. 
Uh, maybe not authentic Italian, though, but it's a, it's a fun recipe. But it tastes real good. Oh, yeah, very much so. All right, now I saved the best for last because, you know, other than the smorgasbord here at lunch, where do you go for seafood? For seafood? Um, there is actually a restaurant that I found uh, just recently uh, that is, uh, I would say, is my favorite in town at the moment. It's called uh, Stim, Stim Grill, uh, which uh, they are specialized in charcoal fish and seafood. Just a simple... They grill it all. Yeah, they do. Riding along in my baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest, she's the CEO and founder of the Newbie Guide to Sweden, Julieta Spora. How are you? Hi, I'm very good. Thank you now, for you having me. Now, you were born here in Sweden. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm born in Stockholm. So you're not a newbie. <laughs> I am not a newbie. I'm not a newbie to Sweden, anyway, but everyone is a newbie to something. It is. It's yeah. true. Well, you're a newbie to me, so here yeah, we are. Exactly. You know, when I first came to Stockholm, it must have been 30 years ago, uh, I was blown away by three things. Uh, I was blown, and you're going to maybe laugh at this, I was blown away by how well I slept because the air was so clean. Um, I was blown away by how expensive it was. By the way, it still is. Yeah, that's um, right. I mean, that's just the way the, the dollar exchange works here. But I was also blown away about how well designed it was. Um, and, and we all talk about Swedish design. But the point is, it's functional. It's not just style over substance. But for someone coming to Sweden for the first time, a traveler, you know, you wrote the book here. So what's the first thing that they're, they're the most surprised about? Well, I mean, there's there's both the sort of the practical things that you can be surprised about, and there's also the cultural and social things you can be surprised about. And the cultural aspect for many is that things are slow, but they work. There is a system, and that, that, that's almost a branding thing. We're slow, but we work. Exactly. So government, uh, healthcare, uh, you name it, it works. It's not. Uh, you're not you can't pay yourself or you, well nowadays you, or you can but in general you I mean you, you you stick with the system and the system takes care of you but the system is also taking care of a lot of people so that means that it is a bit slow you might have to wait for a surgery but you will get the surgery and the surgery is going to cost you three dollars or thirty dollars no matter what you get so that is surprising for a lot of people and also sometimes frustrating when you first get here and you're used to if you can pay your way to something oh, I, I, I want it quick but that doesn't necessarily happen. So that's the, sort of the one aspect. The other aspect is that it is difficult to get to know Swedes generally. They are, I will tell you this, they are at least initially a little aloof. Exactly. And the thing is that, I mean, a lot of people... What, but they, what's going to break the ice? Well, the thing is here that it's not necessarily about people being aloof. It's about people respecting your right to privacy. We have a very, very big respect for everybody's privacy and getting involved, getting getting in someone's face, asking someone to go out for a drink after work, it is getting into that per person's personal space. So we don't we tend to, to wait quite a lot. Swedes tend to wait to get to know that person. It can take five years working with someone before you ask them to go out for a coffee. You know what somebody once told me? They said, you know, in America, you meet somebody who's an American and they tell you about their entire family, their history, where they went to school, what they had for breakfast. 
you'll work next door to a Swedish person for five years and find out they had a brother. Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that, that Swedes are not interested. They are yeah. very interested. They're very curious. They love to travel. They love to meet new people. They love to meet some new cultures. But it's just, it's not about, it's, it's, it's about respect of the other person. So it's not about rigidity? No, not at all. I would say it's not at all. I mean, yesterday I was looking for a particular store in Old Town, which I always go to, and I was a little turned around, and I just, there, there are two Swedish women walking down the street. I just said, hey, listen, guys, could, could you tell me where this is? Not only did they tell me where it was, they walked me to it. Exactly. Because you took the first step. Ah, it's all about taking the first step. Well, and it's not, it's not necessarily about being shy, but you, you showed that you were welcoming them, welcoming them into your personal space. And then yeah. that's all fine. There's a story that you wrote about that made me laugh about the lady from India and the 7-Eleven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that all about? <laughs> well, um, as most people know, it's cold and it's dark in Sweden for um, sort of a lot of months of the year. Not right now. No, We're being right very, very lucky at the moment. But so people, when, when they come to Sweden, they have an idea of how cold it's going to be and how dark it's going to be. But... Until you have truly experienced it yourself, you cannot fully comprehend just how cold and just how dark it is going to be and how much it's going to affect you. And so we had uh, this, well, um, a, a volunteer uh, that, that uh, I met and she told me that she, well, she came from Mumbai and she was coming to, to Sweden to, to study at, uh, the, or do a PhD. And she wanted to prepare. So she was preparing you know, in every sense of the word, and she also wanted to prepare for the cold because she was going to arrive here in February. So the coldest thing that she could think of was to go to 7-Eleven because in, this, India. in India, because the 7-Eleven is very, very air-conditioned. <laughs> so she would be standing there trying to get used to the cold and it sort of, you know, ex expects, ex she expected that she would realize just how cold it was. And then she got to Arlanda Airport and walked out the doors and almost died because it's, it was colder. No <laughs> it's nothing like an air-conditioned 7-Eleven. <laughs> So the 7-Eleven immersion didn't work. It did not. It did not work. No. But there's another way to look at the cold and the dark. I've been here between November and May. I had a great time. You know why? I mean, this is when I was a single man. Mm -hmm. When it's colder and darker, people tend to get together. Yeah, we get cozy. <laughs> <laughs> That's your branding. It's, yeah. not, it's not we're slow when we work. It's we get cozy. Yeah, that is. Right? So you have to thank the natural elements for bringing people together and maybe, maybe even increasing the birth rate. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> we do. I mean, when you think about it, there's a plus side to everything, I suppose. There is. There is. I mean, there is. A, I've, I've spent Christmas in, in, in warm countries in Australia and in Thailand. And I personally find that Christmas when it's warm, it's nothing like Christmas here at home because there's a coziness aspect to it. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. asked me 40 years ago to name a great Swedish restaurant, I would have had a problem doing it. Um, 
And I would have said the same in, in, in Oslo. I would have said the same in Copenhagen. Obviously, times have changed. You've got Noma and Copenhagen. And here in Stockholm, you've got Ekstedt. Thank you. Which is owned and run by my next guest, Michelin star chef Nicholas Ekstedt. How are you? Thank you. Doing great. Uh, yeah. I mean, not easy to get a star for Michelin. And not not surprising. I mean, when you th- I mean, very surprising when you think that it's here in Stockholm. Yes. And I don't use any electricity either. So Explain. <laughs> well, uh, my... My kitchen is based on a uh, an analog kitchen, so I don't use gadgets, electricity, modern equipment. I try to go back to the old roots. school, old, very old school. Yeah, gas. No, no gas. No, just birch wood. So if you think of a kitchen going back to 1700s, yeah, 1750 to early 18. That's got to be a challenge for you because you're you're confronted all the time by technology. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to ignore because I thought that the modern cooking was very based on a lot of uh, gadgets and was leaning towards you know, the equipment that you used and wasn't focusing on the cooking aspect of it. It was focused on the technology and the theatrics. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to the roots to see where Scandinavian cooking was 200 years ago and see if I could use that in a modern, uh, contemporary way. Okay. So what would be one of your dishes that really reflects 200 years ago? Uh, One of the dishes would probably be the oyster dish. So we had a lot of oysters back in the days here, and it was a staple food in Scandinavia, actually, back in the 1700s. And uh, you didn't eat them raw because that was a French way of eating it so we ate them cooked and so I cooked them in beef fat so what I do what I did was I found a drawing of an old cast iron uh, tool from the uh, 1700s. And you it, made it? I made it uh, from the, uh, yeah, so the drawing was in the Royal Library here in Stockholm, and then uh, we developed that tool, and now we melt beef fat in that and cook the oysters in that. So that's, yeah, that's a, a dish that, you know, was forgotten or just hidden away, and now we brought it back to life. Now, what, is there such a thing that people could actually define, I mean, you're, you're helping to do that now, of traditional Swedish cooking? Well, of course, I mean, Sweden is a very kind of like, like, like all countries in Europe we're blended up with a lot of things so um, as you know probably the royal family is rooted back into the Napoleon years of the of France and uh, we had famous shipbuilders from Holland coming to Sweden uh, in the 1700s and as they well. brought all those influences with them of course yeah so uh, the, the technique there's nothing as I mean this I mean there is nothing as a new Nordic cooking I mean it, it, they do use it as a term but I think it's more of a aesthetic term. Because when we hear about you know Scandinavian or Swedish design, that's all modern. Mm-hmm. Everything is modern. Mm-hmm. There's nothing modern about your restaurant. No. <laughs> and let me guess, are we eating by candlelight? Uh, I actually do use electricity uh-huh. in, in the dining room. <laughs> so you got me You're there. You're busted. Yeah. Okay. But I'm trying to do, uh, yeah, but but yeah, because of safety reasons and uh, yeah, a lot of, of course. aspects of it. What would you say is your signature dish? That people are like not expecting. Um, it would probably be the reindeer heart. As I mean, reindeer heart. Yeah. So not a lot of uh, foreigners. Not even. I haven't your... seen that on a lot of menus. No, no. <laughs> it's not a very common thing. Uh, I mean, we have indigenous people of Scandinavia, the Sami community. You probably yes. know about it. I've hung out yeah. with them. You yes. hung out with them. Yeah, and not and a, not Up a lot in of northern Finland. Okay, in Finland. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. cross from Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm, I'm raised up uh, in northern Sweden, so I'm very much influenced by that time and by, by my childhood. And if you go, if you want to go back and look at uh, old Scandinavian cuisine, w- what better way of doing hey, it than reindeer carpaccio? Yeah, 
There you go. <laughs> Don't tell me that's on the menu. No, it's okay. not. We cook it. I mean, uh, the Sami, Sami, they really love their cooked food, it, like high heat. Yeah. So um, I use a lot of very high heat cast iron pan and then I sear the reindeer heart with that and serve it with some lingonberries and parsley when I first put it on the menu I thought no one would want it and now people ask for it like so it's you know it is it's the Swedish version of foie gras <laughs> it is <laughs> I it mean think be. about it could be right. yeah yeah wow yeah and can I ask the really stupid question mm-hmm. where do you get it uh, Sami, yeah, we call them up. And they and they send it down. Yeah. We've been speaking with Nicholas Ekstad, the restaurateur, owner, chef, chief bottle washer, and reindeer heart cooker extraordinaire <laughs> at the Michelin-starred restaurant, Ekstad. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you for keeping keeping uh, keeping with us on this. When we last left off, you were cutting a special uh, <laughs> purveyor deal with the Sami for the, the reindeer heart, mm-hmm. which it's become one of the most popular items on your menu. It does, yeah. And it's a very childhood, you know, nostalgia for me as well, because when I was a kid and got Going out on the mountain with my dad and the, his Sami friends, that was always the first thing they did when they killed the reindeer was cook the heart, because it was nothing that needed to be saved for later. It just, just seared it away as soon as possible. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great memory. Birch fire on the mountain, smell of the wood and the seared uh, heart. Let's talk about the wood. You only use a certain kind of wood, right? I only use birch. Yeah. Why? It's cheap. <laughs> An honest chef, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But does does it have a distinct smell, flavor? Yeah, it does. It, 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 I mean, Scandinavians always refer it to different things. So the Norwegians, they always refer it to the hytte, to their second home near the, the cottage. And Swedish, uh, they refer it to the archipelago, the skärgård, the fjords. Well, the archipelago here is unreal. Yeah, it's amazing. It's unreal. Mm. I keep telling everybody, 24,000 islands. They think mm. I'm making that number up. No, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? And it's just around the corner, right? And in the summer, yeah. I did a very bold thing. I jumped in. But it's warm now. Yeah. Everything's relative. Yeah. Everything's relative. I yeah. still froze. <laughs> <laughs> we think it's warm. <laughs> what about what about the seafood? Uh, the seafood is not great in the Baltic. As you know, we have a local environment problem here in uh, in the Baltic Sea. Uh, the Baltic Sea is doing terribly. It's the overfishing? It, it's overfished. It's polluted. I mean, there's tons of problems in the Baltic Sea. And we got a lot of neighbors. Uh, and, you know, we can't get along that well. And uh, so, unfortunately, the Baltic Sea is um, a... You know, it's a catastrophe. But on the other hand, we got the Atlantic on the other side. So most of our fish and seafood we buy from Norway or Gothenburg. So it's a West Coast food. So you can source it from there. Yeah. And then there, there are lakes. I mean, the, the lakes further in, in Sweden, we, we got great uh, freshwater fish. Uh, because, like? Uh, like pike perch and perch are the two most common fish. And, and they are gr- they're amazing fish. I mean, extraordinary fish. And Why? They, they, um, they're lean in the meat. They, um, uh, they are quite cheap. They, they are not as you know they're not like a turbo or a cod they don't they don't like their names aren't as you know they they don't have they haven't branded them as well probably so we can still buy them at pretty reasonable price and um, you know as as my granddad lived on the islands here so i'm as a child i always got perch uh, so i I love that fish now do you smoke your own fish yes you do yeah of course (laughs) let me guess using birch yes no (laughs) uh no birch is not uh, we do use birch as the heating source for smoking but birch wood is not great to smoke with because the bark uh, gives out a f- uh, an, an odor and a smell and a taste that's not great. So what we do is that we, we use the ambers when we've cooked down the birch and then we add juniper wood. Uh, 
Mm. And juniper wood is amazing. It's the best, I think, to smoke fish with. Now, if you're going to smoke salmon, how long will you smoke it for? Uh, it totally depends. I mean, smoking salmon, it, it's it, Scandinavian smoking techniques varies very much. It's not like uh, set in stone as as you do in the in the American South in Texas and so and Austin. You know that they use a lot of uh, you know the slow and low techniques, and they're pretty. I mean, they vary, but they're pretty much the same. It's, it's a standard way of doing a, a smoke things. But in in Scandinavia, every house and family has their own way of smoking and curing their fish. So it's it's very very. But I usually go for a. I usually go for a pretty quick smoking technique. So it takes two hours of the salmon. That's it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how many dishes that you have are actually smoked? Um, one or two are, are smoked. So the thing is that a lot of people think that they come to the restaurant, they think of it as a smoke or smokehouse or a grilled restaurant. But it's not. It's not. I mean, we use old techniques. So my, my, my kitchen is completely focused on the old way of, of taking care of your food. So it could be fermenting, curing, grilling, smoking. Uh, but it's really difficult for people to get that into their heads. So usually they refer me as the grill master or the open fire chef or so on but I'd rather be named the analog chef or the, the, the chef that don't use listen for a guy who still has rotary phones I'm right there with you <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm seriously <laughs> I, you know, if it's not broken don't fix it no, exactly yeah. uh, I will not find a microwave in your restaurant no no that's that, definitely not no no fast food no, no nuking no no nothing like that now I, I asked you or actually you I told wanted to get w- rid of my refrigerators but I wasn't allowed because of food and health yeah yeah Okay, so let me ask you this, because you mm. already told me the one dish that you didn't think anybody was going to like and they mm. love it, which is the reindeer hearts. Mm. What's the one dish that you put on the menu you thought everybody's going to love and it tanked? Uh, that's definitely my rye pancakes I put on a couple of years ago. Rye pancakes? Yeah, I had this. I cooked them for my kids. My son is with me today, but he's uh, but uh, he's off from school. But um, I cooked them rye breads, uh, rye pancakes in the cast iron pan. And uh, I thought it was good. they loved them. And my wife thought, it's great, you should put this on the menu in the restaurant. So I did these beautiful small little rye pancakes and flambéed them with some Swedish uh, aquavit. And then uh, the guests didn't love them. Oh, they didn't like them at all, actually. So we really? need to take them off, yeah. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. My next guest knows a little bit about food. She knows a lot about Stockholm. She's been here since she's two years old. She's the uh, foodie. She is not the foodie. She's a foodie and the co-founder of Food Stockholm or Stockholm Food, which is actually sthlm.com. Her name, Celine Fierro. How are you? I'm great, thank you. The food scene here has exploded, hasn't it? Really. The last 10 years has been amazing. In what way? Before, the Swedish cuisine or the Swedish restaurant scene has been very much influenced by French, Italian food, pizzas and pastas and stuff like that. The last 10 years, with the lots of immigration, it's been, been exploring in so many ways, so many different tastes from so it's all mel- over it, the continent. It's melting pot food. It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, Chinese, pizza, you know, sushi, Asian, a, of course, yeah. everything. South American. And you would know that because, of <laughs> course, you were born in Argentina. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> What's been the biggest surprise, though? Mm, I don't think it's the biggest surprise, but we have been very good in picking up the green trend. 
uh, and uh, not only uh, like cafes and smaller restaurants, but really good quality uh, green restaurants. And many of the prestigious chefs in, um, in Sweden focus on the green trend. So that's we, been er, like amazing. Well, early in the show, we had Nicholas Ekstad on. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> he's, he's gone beyond green. He's going to basic. <laughs> For right? sure, yeah. 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 But that's, it's working. It is, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, I think compared to many places in the world, Swedish food and Swedish cuisine and Swedish food stores are quite healthy. Uh, but what I like, it's the uh, upper vegetarian food that many are focusing on right now. Well, let's talk about some of your choices. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's say I've never been to Stockholm. Yeah. I'm sure Showing up at your doorstep, where are you taking me to breakfast? I would take you to... I would start at south of Stockholm, uh, called Södermalm. It's a really cute place called Nytorget. They have a lot of restaurants, bars, cafes in that area. It's very hip, chic, and very. it's a lot of movement. There's a place called Urban Deli. It's a mix of a restaurant, bar, uh, they have a deli. Uh, you can buy food there during nighttime. They close at one o'clock. Uh, they have a really good breakfast uh, and what buffet. Am I, and, what, and what am I ordering for breakfast? Well, you should go for the buffet because there there is a very variety of lots of food. So you can pick whatever you wish. I'm not a very fan of buffets because you always overeat. But, but, the, but By the way, but this, for is radio, this is radio and you weigh two pounds. We hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but this breakfast is very fresh, so you can have a variety of stuff. And it's very urban, it's very trendy, so you should definitely like it. And lunch? For lunch, I would take you to a place called Fotografiska. It's near it's near Nytorget, also on Södermalm. They have the best view in Stockholm. It's uh, it's actually a museum, a museum with photographs. And Hence sh- the name. Yeah, it's the name, Fotografiska, sure. exactly. Have you been? I have not. No. I'm looking well, forward to it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I should take you it's they had the best view in stockholm and it's run by one of the most prestigious chefs in stockholm a very well-known chef and he also has a good restaurant open for lunch dinner and also cafe and it's also focused on greens and veggies and season veggies from the season they also serve meat and fish but it's not it's secondary so right. the focus on the greens and the meat comes now for dinner for me at least i i love fish yeah well for sure. I would take you to um, Sture, uh, Sturehof. Say that again? Sturehof. Okay. Have you been? I have not. I'm just trying to pronounce it. <laughs> yes. <Wow. laughs> it's in the like heart center of city Stockholm in uh, Stureplan. It's a traditional Swedish uh, restaurant with good uh, Swedish uh, fish and seafood. They have meatballs as well, but uh, th- their mains are... Uh, By the way, we've gotten four minutes and 40 seconds into this interview when we first heard the words Swedish meatballs. <laughs> really? Nobody yeah, out of your, out of your mouth. Nobody's talked about it. What? That's true. It's crazy. You see, it's, it's because of the green trend. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> want to talk about meatballs anymore. <laughs> but people still eat them. They still eat them, yes. And I had two friends from Ecuador. I took them to Sturhof and we ordered fish and the meatballs. And they were... Uh, very happy about the meatballs. Well, they eat a lot of meat. Well, so. see, Swe- Swedish fish and the meatballs, that's your version of surf and turf. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in between lunch and dinner, I would actually take you for a Swedish fika. Did anybody recommend that before? You have, you have to explain that. Oh, a Swedish fika. It's a Swedish... Um, uh, you have a cup of coffee and then you have a cinnamon bun. Oh, the cinnamon buns I have discovered. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you can't keep them away from me and vice versa. Yeah. Well, I see them over here, so. Yeah, they're actually about three feet away from me right now. I'm in trouble. Okay. <laughs> me too. But the, the nice thing about the cinnamon buns is they're not overly sweet. 
The, no, it's, it's it's a more subtle sweetness. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a lot of uh, cinnamon, and the cinnamon is actually not a sweet. It's not a sweet. Um, it hasn't the sweet taste. So yeah. Yeah, it could be that. All right, so coffee in that. Coffee in that before. And what are we calling that again? A what? Swedish fika. Fika. Yeah, fika. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it on? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? My next guest, born in Sweden, raised in Sweden, and now runs Sweden <laughs> from, from this hotel. She's the CEO of the Grand Hotel. Uh, Pia Dutmark, how are you? Oh, fine. I'm just fine. Thank you for being here. This is such an amazing place to me. And in the interest of full disclosure, I've been coming for 40 years. I mean, when I was, you know, a baby, I came here. I remember my one of my very first trips when I was, you know, a teenager with my parents. We didn't stay here. My mother brought me in and said, "Don't touch anything." <laughs> she just said, "Don't touch anything." Um, now, apparently, you're you're allowing me in. So here I am. Uh, but a hotel that was built in 1874, I mean, it's seen everything, right? And plus, if you look at the position of the hotel, its geographic position in the city, you dominate the waterfront. With The only other building that dominates the waterfront is right across from you. It's, it's the castle with the king and queen. Such history there. Yeah, this is a landmark for Stockholm and has been there for nearly 150 years, of course. But I think when the... The reason why they built the hotel was the Frenchman called Régis Cadier. He wanted to build the most modern and luxury hotel in Europe that time. And he started to do that. And here we are. And we are still here 150 years later. How many rooms? 273 with many, nearly 90 suites. And when you think about 273 rooms back in the year 1874, that was a massive hotel then. Yes, it was. But I think there are only one uh, luxury hotel, hotel in Stockholm, and it's still just one luxury deluxe hotel here. It is. And, you know, the, one of the things that's interesting about this hotel is, of course, all the great historical figures who stayed here, all the, all the, all the Nobel Prize winners, right? As a matter of tradition, they stay here, right? What's, you know, the, the thing that, that always amazes me is when I first came here, it was almost by accident, and I happened to walk into the hotel on the one or maybe one of the two days a week they were doing this smorgasbord. And, and I had only heard the word smorgasbord. I, I, I went to the University of Wisconsin, and so there was a Swedish population there, and their idea of a smorgasbord was completely different. I walked in here, and I had never seen that many kinds of herring and fish. Oh, I mean, it was... I was the kid in the candy store, and, and you're still doing it. Absolutely. But how do you define your smorgasbord here? I mean, what, what makes it special? I think it's a, an old tradition that we will continue. And if you have nearly 150 years of experience, you have tried a lot. So now we think we will be better and better, and we have absolutely the best. So we have the good chefs. We have the final good taste and final touch of everything so it's a long time of experience and training of course and of course what do martin luther king and frank sinatra and grace kelly and 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 uh oh my goodness and greta garbo have in common yes. they all stayed here <laughs> absolutely absolutely and many more <laughs> and, and many more now you just recently did a little bit of a facelift here yeah um maintaining the architect the same architectural features the same styling the same artwork what's the one thing you did change with a more modern touch 
in the historical building, you need to be a little bit uh, of a front runner because you should stay on top all the time. And we are a hotel that everyone wants to copy. So you have to be a front runner all the time, but keep the history in mind. And unless I'm crazy, I notice that your you know your staff to guest ratio is higher. Absolute. Right. I mean, you have a, I mean, you don't just check in with one bellman. You get like four or five guys down there. Absolutely. We used to say that the hotel will never be better than the people in it, and I mean the guests and, of course, all the employees. The other thing is, I judge a hotel by the bathroom, because you spend more waking hours in your hotel bathroom than any other room at the hotel. So if the bathroom works, chances are the hotel's going to be okay. I noticed the bathroom when I checked in this time, you redid it. And, and, and it's lighter, it's brighter. Uh, and when you turn on the shower, the water gets hot right away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you how, see, how about a yes on yeah, that one? Yeah. Because we really want to surprise the guests. And the world is changing. And we have to follow the, the, the changing of the world. And we have to be, as I told you before, a front runner. And we have to update the product all the time. Of course. And when you did that renovation, what was the one thing you discovered that you weren't expecting? We want to, our guests to have the feeling when you leave the hotel, you, should, you, you don't know exactly what it is, but you, say, you have the feeling that, okay, here I want, really want to come back to. Well, what you're hoping for, as any hotelier would hope for, is that the guests have an emotional connection to the hotel. Absolutely, and feel that there's something special, and we will share the grand experience. Now, is it true that when the hotel opened, you had two bears roaming the lobby? Yes, that's true. Real bears? Absolutely. Very small ones, but... Bears? Yes. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Chicadier who opened the hotel, he was a... Uh, Eccentric? He, absolutely. And we want to, to continue with that. <laughs> You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Dars. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom 
was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.